Good morning. And Happy New Year. Uh, day early, I guess, but uh, isn't today the last day of the year? Hard to believe. Uh, 2024 uh, coming your way, but uh, I hope you've had a good year when you look back on, on the year. And if you're like most folks, there have been some ups and there have been some downs. And the one ahead of us will look a lot like the one behind us. It'll have some new challenges. Um, but the one thing I love about well, being part of the church is that we have, we have the Lord Jesus Christ and we have each other. And uh, so I'm looking forward to 2024 and all that it has to bring. Um, let's begin with a word of prayer. Um, dear Heavenly Father, Lord, uh, we come to you giving you thanks for this day, for the opportunity of worship that comes with this Sunday. And uh, Lord, we just, uh, just want to ask that with this body of believers that you would do your will. We pray, God, that you would make much of Christ and the gospel and, Lord, that you would help us to uh, remain Christ-centered in all that we do. Uh, Lord, for the many that are hurting and going through difficult times, Lord, our heart goes out. And we just ask that you minister to them. Uh, you know what each of them needs. And, uh, God, we pray for our church family, for, for every family of this church, Lord, that your hand be upon them, that you protect them. And, uh, Lord, that you lead us and guide us into and through another year. And, uh, Lord, we do ask that you're with us today in this service. In Christ's name, amen. Um, just a couple of real quick announcements. Uh, somebody asked me already, so today is the last day for taking up the Lottie Moon offering. So if you did not contribute and you want to, just make sure that you mark it on the envelope um, when the offering is collected. And uh, we will be having uh, the Lord's Supper uh, this coming Sunday, and that's something I always look forward to as a time of communion. Um, and so I want to make you aware of that. And my wife has a quick announcement um, is this on? Come up here and talk real loud. Good morning. Fun stuff going on for the Women's Center. 2023 was amazing. That was our first operative year. We have a building, and if y'all haven't come seen it yet, come. It's the Blue Building in Troy. We're getting it. Um, we have the funds to get it overhauled. We're so, so pleased. But we're about to do my favorite fundraiser. Y'all might have heard of this before. The, it's a pretty common fundraiser for PRCs. The one in Stanley County has done it for years and years, and now we're going to do it too. It's called a baby bottle boomerang. So what you do is you fill up a baby bottle, the cheapest ones, not good ones, cheapest ones, with your spare change or cash or checks. Make them out to the Yori Women's Center. Bring them here, and then we're going to have a competition. This side versus this side. And I have not decided the prize yet for who's going to win. But we're going to raise money the entire month of January because that is the Sanctity of Human Life month. And then we're going to see who wins and we're going to raise money for the Women's Center. And we have some active clients right now and more that are calling us every day. I've spent quite a bit of time on the mobile unit at the parking lot in Bisco and heard some pretty wonderful and pretty heartbreaking stories. Um, and it's just gonna get more and more as we open up our center more full time. Um, but part of the way that we can do that is to raise money to hire that director full time, you know. So <laughs> fill up baby bottles with your spare change. If you don't have baby bottles, you don't wanna buy baby <coughs> bottles, that's fine too, we'll have a box. Just bring your spare change, bring your cash, bring your checks. All right. Love on. I could have done that in about half the time. You know what she said? Give me your money. 
All right. No, it's a good, it's, uh, it is, it is fun. And, uh, you know, it, we're, uh, we're almost in a state where most people don't carry cash anymore, but if you, it, I like the spare change type fundraisers. I think that'll be fun to do. Um, so looking forward to that and uh, hope it's fruitful. Um, that's all the announcements I have. Are there any others before we move to prayer requests? All right, well, let me mention a few prayer requests that um, have come our way, and, and you guys can uh, mention others if, um, if you've got some you'd like to mention before the church. Uh, of course, continue to remember the Reagan-Blackman family um, as they, they deal with the tragedy of losing a young one there, um, especially during the holidays. Um, remember those that, that are sick. There are many that are all kinds of sicknesses. It's, it's just that time of year. Um, in fact, you'll see the healthcare staffs on there. I asked Jill a week or two ago how her crowd was doing. She said trying to keep them well so they can tend to other people. Um, but lots of folks under the weather with different things. Remember those that are traveling uh, for the holidays with their families. Um, and if you would, remember Jerry Eford. He had to go to urgent care this morning. Um, he's, he's not doing well. And uh, so keep, keep him in your prayers. Remember Miss Sheila Gaddy um, at this time and also Carol Beeman. And I want to ask that you guys would pray for um, Scott Green. I mentioned Scott, I believe, last week. Um, <clears throat> and he, he, has, he has been having a really tough time. And I'm not going to go through all of his medical issues, but I will say this. Uh, there, there was at least some expectation that he wouldn't still be with us right now. But he underwent a surgery um, Friday, and uh, he came through the surgery. It was a very long surgery. Um, and uh, anyway, just, just keep him in your prayers and his family also um, during this time. He's a young man having to deal with this. Um, and with that, I will turn it over to you guys. What other prayer requests would you guys like to mention? That's right. Mitchell mentioned that to me. By the way, uh, she got to come home for the day and test out her wheelchair, and uh, they're tickled with it, and so I just wanted to... Tell the church, and thanks again for doing that. I think that's wonderful to be able to do that sort of thing. Um, what other prayer requests? Uh, he broke two fingers on the right hand Friday night. Okay, let's remember Lee. Lee's oh, gosh. Okay. Are they both under the weather? All right. What else? All right. We'll not see. Janie? Okay. Is that this week? Tuesday. Tuesday. All right. We'll be praying for you, sister. Allison did share this with me. What's his name? 
All right. Any others? All right. Well, let's go to the Lord in a word of prayer and uh, remember these. And Kevin Kearns, would you lead us in words?
Three twenty-five. We sing all four verses. Three twenty-five. 
had to have our, our fellowship time. Um, one of our themes today is fellowship. Today was not the day to skip. Um, if you would, take your copy of God's Word and turn to 1 John. And, uh, you know, just having finished up the Gospel of John oh, a few weeks ago, and uh, we did our, our series on, on Israel after that, um, it, it, maybe I'm still in John mode, um, but 1 John seemed like the logical place to go. And so while you find 1 John, um, I'll tell you that, well, if you're to look up in a commentary what maybe the theological themes are, you'll find that people will mention that there is an emphasis on, well, kind of like what we just sang, really, walking in light. Um, and there is an emphasis on light. This is one of the marks of John's writing. Um, there's an emphasis on love, and, uh, and that is also true. But 1 John is really about the basics of Christianity. And the historical backdrop for that, this is one of the later epistles that are written. In fact, I believe that all of the apostles had been martyred by this time except for John. And there had been some heretics that had come into the church with some new ideas and in fact, we're preaching a new, a different Jesus. And by the way, I'll remind you what my preacher told us when I was growing up. If it's new, it ain't true. And so they were preaching a different Jesus, and that is a false Jesus. And so John is writing to the church. He skips all formality. It is a call back to, in fact, you could almost call 1 John Christianity 101. And so I would ask you to stand uh, for the reading of God's Word, and we are going to read, it's a very short chapter, but we're going to read the entirety of the first chapter of First John. <clears throat> that which was from the beginning, which we have heard, which we have seen with our eyes, 
which we looked upon and have touched with our hands concerning the word of life. The life was made manifest and we have seen it and testify to it and proclaim to you the eternal life which was with the Father and was made manifest to us. That which we have seen and heard we proclaim also to you that you too may have fellowship with us. And indeed, our fellowship is with the Father and with His Son, Jesus Christ. And we are writing these things so that our joy may be complete. This is the message we have heard from Him and proclaim to you, that God is light and in Him is no darkness at all. If we say we have fellowship with Him while we walk in darkness, we lie and do not practice the truth. But if we walk in the light as He is in the light, we have fellowship with one another, and the blood of Jesus His Son cleanses us from all sin. If we say we have no sin, we deceive ourselves, and the truth is not in us. If we confess our sins, He is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. If we say we have not sinned, we make Him a liar, and His word is not in us. This is God's Word. You may be seated. <clears throat> there's a lot here, and there's some heavy stuff here, and I hope I can deal with this uh, properly. Um, in fact, I, it, it took a little sorting to figure this out. Uh, not what it means, but how to present it. Uh, but I believe that, that there is a clear way of doing this, but we have to look at it in the same context that John was dealing with. And by the way, it is a context that is appropriate for us today. Now, I will tell you that the false teachers of John's day were a group that they were referred to as the Gnostics. And the Gnostics held to some beliefs that were not biblical, they were not true, and they came in and they, they would try to persuade churches that this was the true Christ and that they had this secret revelation, they had this additional knowledge, and with this they were leading some astray. I will tell you that John is writing to a church. In fact, church is. He does not address a church. He just jumps right into the message. Um, and in fact, as I read this, this is not always the case, but I am sure that John realized that he was writing Scripture here. And so as we read this uh, epistle, uh, it's, it's built upon John, which we just finished. And you all should be familiar with the gospel according to John. He assumes that you have familiarity with John. I will to some extent, but I'll help us along the way. Um, but also he assumes familiarity with the gospel. Um, his gospel in particular, we see some of the same language. Now his gospel, the gospel according to John, if you recall, it was evangelistic in nature. It was written so that you might believe that Jesus is the Son of God and believing have everlasting life. And so here what we, what we see John doing is Stand firm in that belief, in true belief. And so the first thing that I want to point out here is that the true witnesses proclaim the true Christ. This can get, this can get really divisive really quick. The truth is always divisive. We should not shrink away from it, but rather cling to it. And so the first thing that I want to show you uh, about the true witnesses proclaiming the true Christ is that the true witnesses are the apostolic witnesses. They are the apostles. Um, now, I think that that's important because of the language that we see John use here. In fact, if you read this twice, it'll hit you in the face. 
He uses language where he is basically saying, we were there. We know. We walked with Jesus. We sat under his teaching for three years. We saw the things that he did, and we saw him resurrected. Here, I'll just read you. Uh, I've highlighted some of these phrases. We have heard. We have seen with our eyes. We have looked upon. We have touched with our hands. And then he says things like, speaking of the life. And by the way, when he says that which was from the beginning, he's referring to Jesus. When he says that eternal life that was with God, that is Jesus. In fact, let me give you a little help here. Some people are confused about this. There is no life outside of Christ. None. Everything that moves, creeps, or crawls has its life in Christ. And the only thing that has eternal life are those that have life in Christ, which means only Christians have this eternal life. But he, he talks about this life being made manifest, and he's saying to us, to the apostles, to those that were there, and what he is doing is making it manifest to us through the words of Jesus and the teaching of Jesus. And he says, we have seen, we heard, and then you know what he says? It's in here twice. Proclaim. The truth is proclaimed by the apostles. Now, what he is saying here with gentler language, you know, the way that an American would have said this is, I'm the authority, listen to me. Now, John doesn't use that language, but he's saying, we, the apostles, are the authority, listen to us. And he uses their experience um, as the basis for that. By the way, Jesus preached as much. In fact, the foundation of the church is apostolic. It is built upon the apostles, the chief cornerstone, of, co of course, being Christ, but the apostles being selected by him according to his sovereign plan to be the pillars of the church. And indeed, they have a special place even in the age to come. Now, the reason that this is so important is because there are many that would build on another foundation. And so it was the Gnostics in his day, and they came in, and some of the core beliefs of the Gnostics were things like, Jesus was not really the Son of God. He was not eternal. He was a created being. This is what the Gnostics believed. This is, these are false beliefs about Jesus. And John jumps right at some of these. And by the way, we have some that believe these same things today. Uh, we don't call them... Uh, the Gnostics today, but the belief system lives on. In fact, if you were uh, to grill a, uh, a Mormon, or they call themselves, I think to give themselves more validity, the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints, but what we should call them are Smithites. It is a religion that was started by Joseph Smith, and Smithites believe what Smith taught. And we are named after the founder of our religion, Christ. We are Christian. And the Smithites are named for the founder of their religion, though many call them Mormons or the Latter-day Saints. But they believe that Jesus is a created being, that he is not co-eternal, co-equal, and co-powerful with God. And in fact, um, the Russellites, um, Jehovah's Witnesses, believe the same thing. And Again, I believe that these are more appropriate names to call them after their founders, but they both believe in a Jesus that's not eternal, that is not co-powerful, co-equal, and not God's true Son. The problem is, that is a different Christ than the Christ of the Bible. And so the reason that John attacks this is with such force, I'm going to lay it out there for you, and y'all can cast stones at me later if you want, but if your faith is in a false Christ, 
then it is a false faith and it leads to a false, that is a not real salvation. To have a saving faith, it must be, the object of your faith must be true. And that object can be none other than Jesus Christ. And so this true witness is apostolic and it is a true witness of the true Christ, which includes him being eternal. As he says, that which was from the beginning. Or as he says in his gospel, in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. And so when we think of Jesus, though he came, and as we celebrated on Christmas, he came born as a baby, but he always was. As it says in the Old Testament, he was one like unto the Son of Man, the Ancient of Days, whose goings and comings are foretold. He is an eternal Jesus from the beginning. And so this is a polemic against those that would have a created Jesus, that would have a Jesus that was not born in the flesh or that was not resurrected. We see here that he also identifies this true witness with the true Christ. He has the author of life. It says the word of life. It says that the life was manifest, the eternal life which was with the Father and was made manifest to us. I don't care how rabid an atheist is. Their life is a gift from God. And there, was, there will be no eternal life to any except in Jesus Christ. And when Jesus preached, when he walked on the shores of Galilee, and he said, no man come unto the Father but by me, guess what he actually meant? He meant no man cometh unto the Father but by me. One way to eternal life, and that eternal life is in Christ. And John makes this so clear. He also presents him as the son of the heavenly father. Uh, he, he refers to him as God's son. Uh, it says in, in verse 3, uh, Our fellowship is with the father and with his son, Jesus Christ. And so he is uh, directly tying him to God. And by the way, one of the ways that he ties him to God is in Holiness. Jesus Christ is holy. Was holy, always has been holy, always will be holy. And so anytime, here's another false teaching that I hear sometimes bubbling to the surface. People will have some idea, uh, some version of, of a Jesus where he could commit sin and did commit sin. Jesus Christ, the historical Christ, God's Son never sinned, cannot sin, could not sin, will not sin. In Him is light and no darkness at all. Now John's reason again for the proclamation is that he's saying, get back to the basics, trust in what you were originally taught, don't add anything to it. Know that Jesus, as presented by Himself, through the prophets and the fathers of the Old Testament, by the apostles in the New is the true Jesus. Now, I want to dwell on this. By the way, this is a call to everyone. Don't sit out there and say, well, I'm good. In fact, that always scares me a little bit when people are too cocky. Try always. I don't care if you're 90 years old and you got saved when you were five. Always be growing in the grace of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Always be growing in your knowledge of the Lord. Always be striving for truth. 
And there are some people, and I'm not going to say that they're not saved, but they have held on to some idea that was introduced to them somewhere that is false. And if you come up against something and it is nagging at you like that, repent. Repent and believe the truth. Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. And so if you're going to walk in the truth, you must first know the truth. Um, I already said it once, but faith is only as good as the object of that faith. Do you guys remember, uh, it's been, oh gosh, I guess it's been a couple months ago, but we had the sermon, which looked like a grammatical error, called Faithing in Jesus. And we talked about how faith is actually a verb. It's an action. And so if you have faith in Christ, it's not something you just say, like, I believe in Jesus. If you really believe, that belief is born out in action. And the example that we used was that of a parachute. You can know how the parachute works, all the physics of it, but if you don't have enough faith to put it on and jump, then you don't actually trust in the parachute. Well, the same can be, in fact, it reminds me of a joke. There's a joke that there was a, a pilot flying on an airplane and he had four passengers. He had a kid, an old retired pastor, the richest man in the world, and the smartest man in the world. Some of y'all heard this, I'm sure. Pilot comes back and he says, look, the plane's going down. There's five of us. There's only four parachutes. And with that, he takes a parachute, snaps it on, jumps out. So there they are, four of them, three parachutes. And uh, the richest man in the world says, I've got a lot of money. My research will probably benefit humanity. And so he puts on his parachute and jumps. <clears throat> Then the smartest man in the, or excuse me, that's the, the, yeah, the richest man. Then the smartest man in the world says, uh, I'm very smart. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to come up with a lot of good inventions. And, uh, and the world is going to benefit from my brain. The world needs my brain. Puts on a parachute and jumps. And so there's the kid and the old retired pastor. And the pastor looks at the young boy and he says, I've lived a good long life. He said, uh, maybe this is just my time. You go ahead and take the last parachute and jump. And the kid says, I think we can both put on a parachute and jump. There's two left. The smartest man in the world just jumped out with my backpack on. <laughs> but, now look, silly joke, silly joke. But, paints a picture, doesn't it? Because he had enough faith to jump, but the object of his faith was wrong. Now look, a lot of people are like that. And, and they're devout in their belief and they're what some people would call sincere in their belief. And some people judge the validity of what they believe based on their sincerity. The problem with that is you can be sincere and be wrong. So go to the truth. And John is saying, we the apostles, we knew Jesus. We walked with Him. We touched Him. We heard everything that He had to say. Trust us, not this new stuff. And guess what? An old-timey Bible preacher should be saying that in churches all across the world today. Don't believe the new stuff. Trust the apostles. And if a preacher stands in a pulpit with something new, send him on his way. No, don't run. Send him on his way. You stay, he goes. Nothing new from the pulpit. And, you know, how do you know what's true? Here it is. Now look, there are a lot of sources where you can learn things that are true. You know, some people would tell you that's what science is. And some of us, in our job, when you put them in categories, they call us a scientist. But science doesn't know everything. And so if somebody says, prove God with science, 
I'm going to tell you what, science doesn't have the capability to prove an almighty, perfectly holy God. Science cannot do it. It will never be able to do it. It's just a realm. Some people will, they want to trust in their experience. Some people want to trust in their emotions. Just trust the truth. You see, we can only know so much. Even the wisest, the smartest, the richest, the most uh, benefited of us, we're just mortal beings. And even if we live to be 90 and we spend every hour of every day trying to learn, when we die, we can take all of our knowledge and put it in a thimble compared to the oceans of knowledge that are out there. You see, we'll always have limited knowledge, but God spoke from heaven through His Son, Jesus Christ, who gave this message to His apostles that we can know some things for sure. And in this book of 1 John, uh, John is going to reiterate that we can have assurance in our salvation. You know, I was thinking about this trusting in our senses and science and our experience and our emotions. And uh, I kept thinking about this bizarre experience I had earlier this year. And to this day, I cannot explain it, but on, I think it was December 8th, I went deer hunting. And uh, I don't know how it happened, but I almost walked right up on a really nice buck, 80 yards. And I'm carrying a bow. I'm a bow hunter. That's too far for a bow. And I started doing some calculations, and I took my boots off. I took pictures of the deer. I, did I call you? I called my wife, a huge buck down here. I'm going to try to stalk it. I could only get within 60 yards. And some of y'all can give me a hard time for shooting that far later if you want to. But I had shot at 60 yards earlier that day. I got to within 60 yards. I drew. I anchored. I took my time, and I touched it off. And I saw that arrow loft through the air and go that high over the deer. I didn't even walk down there. I was so dejected. I went back and put my boots on. I didn't even call my wife back. I was embarrassed. I just said, I missed I don't even think I went hunting. I think I left. And uh, really nice deer. Never seen that deer. Never had it on camera. And uh, so I went to looking for him. And I couldn't come up with him over the next five days. I had cameras everywhere. Hunting all the corridors and nothing. Finally, I said, well, I might as well go get my arrow. And so I went back over there to where that was. And I walked down there to get my arrow. And I, I pulled up the picture. I'd sent my wife. There was a tree this way. I knew exactly where he was laying. And I walked down there. And I was looking for my arrow. I didn't see anything. I looked up, and there he was dead 20 yards away. And I was like, I saw my arrow go over his back. Wasn't even close. It was that high over his back. And I said, but he liked the bed here. Somebody else shot him. They lost him. He came back and died here. And so I went over there, and I looked. And sure enough, it was the same buck. And I popped his head off. The coyotes had gotten all of him that there was to get. And I saw a cut in his sternum. And so I said, I've got to find my arrow. And even though it had rained two and a half inches, my arrow was still covered in blood. Now look, if you think I'm just going out in the woods and flinging arrows at animals and not going to look for them, that's not my way. But I saw with my eye, and I knew in my heart that I had missed. Now I don't know why I saw what I saw, but my senses let me down that day. And sometimes when people go, Looking, when they go seeking, their senses and their emotions let them down. But you see, there was a truth to be discovered. And in this case, if I wanted to know the truth, I should have went down there the day that I turned that arrow loose. 
and I would have found out the truth and got a bunch of deer meat. But I didn't. And some people, they want a certain type of Jesus. They believe a certain thing, and they're trusting in emotion rather than the truth. The truth here is God himself, and God has spoken through Christ and through his apostles. Now look, point number two here, and this is an important one, and I mentioned the fellowship, but there is fellowship in the truth of Jesus Christ. Now, there's, a, there's several mentionings of fellowship. When I say fellowship, by the way, it's not just this handshaking thing that we did, okay? In fact, it is partnership. It's partaking of. And, what, and how does John speak of Christ here? From the beginning, eternal. And he identifies him as the eternal life. The eternal life was made manifest to us. And so what he is saying here when he mentions this fellowship is specifically eternal life in Jesus Christ. He says that the eternal life which was with the Father was made manifest to us. He says... We proclaim Him so that you may have fellowship with us. Now look, this is the apostle, but a man, saying fellowship among men. Those of us that believe the same thing. And our fellowship, this is in verse 3, is with the Father and His Son, Jesus Christ. And then in verse 6, he says, If we say we have fellowship with Him while we walk in darkness, we lie and do not practice the truth. And you know what that practice the truth refers to? Have fellowship. So this fellowship that is had, and by the way, this is an important message for church people. The fellowship that we have, and I'm not just going to say at Hamer Creek, but amongst church people, all right? It's not real unless you first have fellowship with God through Jesus Christ. In fact, that's true for all Christian relationships in life. Now, there are some preachers that will, they, they have this teaching that if a Christian sins, and we're going to talk about sin in a minute, praise God that we can still do that. Uh, they'll teach that if a Christian sins, that they fall out of fellowship. A Christian, by nature of being a Christian, cannot fall out of fellowship. You can hinder your fellowship, but you still have fellowship. In fact, uh, well, it's kind of the way marriage is, isn't it? That's my wife, and... I can do something wrong, I can mistreat her, and we still have fellowship, but it's not the same kind, is it? Uh, we've all experienced that, haven't we? In fact, I had to tell my wife the other day, we were talking about uh, different things and the way people act, and I said, well, honey, I said, I just want to admit to you, I realize that you get the worst of me, and I'm sorry for that. But you know what she said to me? She said, I get the best of you too. Fellowship. In marriage, fellowship between brothers and sisters in Christ is strengthened as each individual gets closer to Christ. In fact, a real simple picture is you can draw a triangle, and at the top of that triangle, you have God Almighty. And at your arms of the triangle, you have husband and wife. And as that husband gets closer to God, that wife will get closer to him. And guess what happens as they get closer to God? They're getting closer to each other. And so I believe that as we have horizontal fellowship, we will have better vertical fellowship. And this has to do with our, our sharing, our communion. By the way, still built on the apostolic truths about Christ revealed to us. And uh, by the way, the foundation of this fellowship is eternal life. Foundation, not finish line. We've got to quit talking about salvation like it's well, so-and-so got saved. He's done. 
a whole bunch of those people never come to church again and never experience fellowship. And you know what? I think that if they read 1 John, they would say, well, I'm out of order. And I think many of them would doubt their salvation. But he wants us to have assurance in salvation. One of the ways that we have that is through fellowship. Um, now look, this fellowship, it is bound by a message. In fact, it's the message that he says was given by God. And that message is the gospel. The gospel does not change. It has not changed. It will not change. It is the truth as we're going to see here in just a minute, that we are all sinners, that we all have a sin debt, which means that we all have a need, and that that need is met in Jesus Christ or it's not met at all. And so the gospel, let me, the, the short version, repent and believe. That's the short version of it. Repent of your sins and believe that Christ is who He says He is and that He did what He says He did and that He rose from the grave. That is the gospel God is light, and in Him is no darkness at all. And it says here that if we say we have fellowship with Him while we walk in the darkness, we're liars. Now, let me make a quick differentiation here between walking, because we're about to read that we all sin. And I'm, I'm going to hit that pretty hard, because you're all sinners. I'm a sinner. Nobody's perfect. Don't ever come to me and say, Preacher, I finally did it. I don't sin anymore. I know there are some churches that teach that, and there are churches full of liars. I'm just telling you, that's what the Bible says, that they are a liar. They make God a liar when they say that. Some de denominations have that. They'll have like a, well, I've beat up on enough of other denominations, I guess. Uh, but the Bible never says that. But it, there is a difference in walking in darkness. In other words, living in habitual sin. I like it. I'm going to keep doing it. It's my way. That's different than walking in light and stepping into darkness. Now look, one of the Old Testament words for sin literally means a misstep. I hope that this church, I know this church is full of missteppers, but I hope it, it does not have one single dark walker in it. You cannot walk in the darkness and have fellowship with Christ. That is clear. You cannot just live in habitual sin. It says here that if you do that, or if you say you're doing that, you do not practice the truth. You do not have fellowship. And so, by the way, let me, just, let me get to the crux of this. Look in verse 4. He says, And we are writing these things, what we have just written and what's to come, so that... Our joy may be complete. Some manuscripts, by the way, say so that your joy may be complete. Can I just say that this is for all believers, the joy of all believers. You, I think it works this way. True repentance and true belief in the true Christ yields in eternal life. When you have eternal life, you are walking in the light, and that produces joy. I'm not talking about happiness. Anybody can be happy when circumstances are good. But I'm talking about joy, the firm, solid knowledge, the celebration of knowing what lies ahead of you in Christ. Joy belongs to the Christian and to the Christian alone. Now look, the world can use the word joy if they want to, but it's not the same thing that the Christian has. Uh, I heard one preacher say that happiness depends on happenstance. This is what the world has, and the world chases happiness. They make it their highest ideal. The Christian shouldn't do so. The Christian should chase Jesus. And they don't get out of that happiness but joy. By the way, it doesn't mean that nothing bad ever happens to you, Christian. 
you want a prosperity preacher, I think Joel Osteen comes on at one or something. And he'll, he'll tell you that. God just only wants what's good for you. God's given me a lot of bad. And it's, he's done it for his own glory to produce character in me, to make me fall down on my knees and talk to him and cry out to him. So I'm not telling you that everything's going to be good all the time. But it will produce joy. <clears throat> Number three here, sin is defeated in fellowship with Christ. Now, <clears throat> I've already talked about a difference between a misstep and walking in. And we're all missteppers, but hopefully none of us are dark walkers. Now, I'm going I'm to read this part. I believe that this is monumentally important that we understand this. It leads to our assurance, which builds up our joy, or it convicts us and tells us who we are and what we are lacking in Christ. If we say that we have fellowship with God while we walk in darkness, while we live a life of sin, we lie and do not practice the truth. But if we walk in the light as he is in the light, we have fellowship with one another. I love this part. You ready? Listen. And the blood of Jesus, his son, cleanses us from all sin. If we say we have no sin, we deceive ourselves and the truth is not in us. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. If we say we have not sinned, we make him a liar and his word is not in us. I don't know what those denominations, the perfectionist denominations do with that, the holiness groups. I have no idea. They probably just don't read this part. You can't have it both ways. Now look, the, the foundational truth here is if you say I have no sin, you have no salvation. Oh, what are you being saved from? You first must recognize your plight. And here's your plight. All of mankind is fallen in Adam. Now look, I don't need somebody to... Explain to me the doctrine of original sin, though I will confirm it. It is true. I don't need someone to explain to me federal headship in Adam, though I think it's a good way of explaining our sin nature, because guess what? I know me, and I'm a sinner. And I hope that you can look in the mirror and say, I have sinned. And that you read this verse and say, if we say we have not sinned, we make him a liar. We have all sinned, different sins based on our own moral failings and character flaws. By the way, I know nobody likes sin. Joel Osteen doesn't talk about it, I can tell you that. It's not how you fill a church up. It's not exactly church growth material. And I believe that John kind of eases into it. He's talking about walking in darkness. But then he, when he does mention sin, when he uses the word, he's, the first mentioning is that the blood of Jesus can cleanse us from all sin. So he acknowledges that it's real, but that there's a solution. And that solution is Jesus Christ and nothing else. But then he comes over here and he says, If you say you have no sin, you deceive yourself and you make God a liar. You deceive yourself and the truth is not in you. But if we, if we confess our sins, he's faithful and just. So there's a little bit of this back and forth. First step, admitting that you're a sinner. Now look, I admit it. I don't know why some people can't admit it. Most don't. In fact, when I evangelize to people, I don't give them the opportunity. I just say, you admit that you're a sinner. You've lied, you stole, you've done something wrong. Well, guess what? We've all done worse than that. That's just barely scratching the surface of our sin nature. But that's where it starts. That's where you can look up and say, I have a need. And that that need is that my sins will sink me, so I need a Savior to save me. I don't... 
Preacher Alan Davis said one time, he said, we do our part. We sin. We need a Savior that does his part. And he does. He saves. <clears throat> now, the bar for eternal life, it's too high. It's too high, church. You cannot get there. You can't. No person ever will. In fact, let me just jump right into what he says here. When he talks about the blood of Jesus, I've lost it. Somebody help me. Verse 8, if we confess our no. 7, if we walk in the light as he is in the light, we have fellowship with one another. And the blood of Jesus, his son, cleanses us from all sin. All sin. All sin. Somebody say hallelujah. If he cleansed me from all sins but one, and he said, well, I'm going to wash away all your sins but that one, guess what? I'm still damned. But he cleanses us from all sin. The moment that you have a true belief and true repentance, you have true fellowship and true salvation and a truly, truly righteous standing before God. So the bar is too high. So the price that was paid was high enough. And that price that was paid was the very blood, the precious blood of Jesus Christ. Now, It had to be the blood of Jesus. Nothing else would have done it. I cannot believe that preachers back away from this. It had to be Jesus Christ, and it had to be His blood. Without the shedding of blood, there is no remission of sins. But this price was paid to bring you in right standing with God, to restore fellowship. All sin. Now look, all sinners have the need. I have covered this. You know, Romans says that for all have sinned and all fall short of the glory of God. Sometimes the mistake that people make, and I hope I can remember, I'll say this again next week and the week after, people compare themselves to other people. And they say, well, I'm not that bad. Look at that group over there. Guess what? When you stand before an almighty God, you're not getting compared to other people. Your morality is going to be compared not to this other church, not to these pagans, not to people in another part of town, not to people in another country, not to people in another time. Your morality is going to be compared to a thrice holy almighty God. Amen. Now look, for that, nothing else will suffice but the precious eternal blood of Jesus. And the blood never loses its power. <clears throat> this is one of the first verses that I memorized when I truly became a Christian, not that when I was coming up in church, but when I truly was regenerated and had a true faith in Christ, that if we, are, that if we confess our sins, He is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. That is so important in the life of the Christian. <coughs> you know why? Because we're all missteppers. Now some people will look at that and say, if we sin, when we come to Jesus, when we repent of our sin, that He saves us. Yes. But guess what? None of us quit sinning completely. Some of y'all can claim that if you want to. I hope you get better and better at your walk as you live your Christian life. I do. I hope you, that it is a life marked by victory, not marked by sin. But if you do sin, this is what the Bible says. Let me rephrase that. When you do sin, the Bible says that if you confess your sin, He's faithful. What does that mean, He's faithful? He's going to do it. 
He's going to do it because the power of His blood is good enough. He will do it. It also says that He's just. It's not just, you know, some people, uh, the Armenian view, just forgive for forgiveness sake. No. Forgive because the payment is perfect. So He is just in doing it. We all fall short, but God forgives. He's faithful to do so. He's just in doing so. And confess, <coughs> excuse me, confessors are cleansed. <coughs> Comes back to that admit, doesn't it? You have to admit your need. <coughs> Let me say here is John really drives this point home about sin. That's what you're going to leave here today. Somebody asked me one time, they said, what did the preacher preach on today? You know what I said? Sin and God. <laughs> That's a good message though because we're all sinners and we all need God. And the need was fulfilled with the blood of Jesus Christ. So just kind of to recapitulate it, all sin, all fall short, all have a need, and that need can only be met in Jesus Christ. And John is calling us back to the basics of Christianity, and he's saying, you must believe the truth, and you must believe in the true Jesus, and you must have a true faith. And if you really have that, you will walk in the light. Not that you'll live a life that's perfect, such that you could say, I have no sin. He's, he, he deals with that. You can't go that far. But you walk in the light because you have been illumined by Jesus Christ in a moment of true faith. And if we mess up, I did it again. When we mess up, we have an advocate in Christ Jesus. And we can be. We are forgiven and He is faithful and just to do so. And I'm going to come back to that verse that's right there in the middle. And we are writing these things so that our joy may be complete. John wants you to have joy. But I'm going to tell you, I'm going to tell you how church people can have no joy in their life. Walk in darkness. You'll be just like the world if you walk in darkness. You'll be chasing happiness, but you'll never wrap your arms around joy. If you want joy, you have to walk in the light. The only way you can have joy is true salvation in the true Christ. Nothing new. Back to the basics. Trusting in Him and Him alone. And if you walk in the light, if you can look at your life and you can say, my life bears fruit that I walk in the light, not in the darkness. My life shows that I, I do my level best to live a life holy before God. You will have assurance of your salvation and joy forevermore. Dear Heavenly Father, we, we thank You for this encouragement. And Lord... Uh, None of us knows what the future might bring. And my heart breaks for those that find themselves in situations where they look at their life and they say, I'm walking in darkness. And so, God, I just pray that you'd prick hearts as only you can do. Lord, that by the power of your spirit, that you would draw people that have backslidden back to you, that they might have the joy. In fact, joy that passes all understanding. And God, for all of us, help us to never abandon the fundamentals of Christian doctrine the fundamentals of the faith, that we may be rooted and grounded in apostolic doctrine, that we may learn from the words of Jesus and from those that He kept closest to Him to be the pillars of the church. God, it is our prayer that from this body of believers, You would have a people that walk in light, and Lord, that we would live a, a testimony of light before those around us. God, we pray that You would continue to draw people to yourself, and that you would get glory. In Christ's name, amen. I'm going to ask you all to stand if you would, and we're going to have a time of, 
a hymn of invitation and a time where you could come to the altar if you wish. And uh, I want to, I said, I'm going to say it again. John wants you to have joy. And uh, I've used this example before. But if you have been living your life in a way that you shouldn't as a Christian, and really, if we, if we all get real honest, we've all got room for improvement. But the better that you do, every day that you do a little bit better in obedience to Christ, you're not earning your salvation, you're just living it out. And you will have more and more joy as you submit and surrender to Jesus Christ.